Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number five with our guest, Bob Berg. On today's episode... Having a mindset of confidence doesn't mean we don't have fears and that we don't have doubts. We're human beings. Of course we do. It's that we also have a confidence inside to know that we can work past those fears and doubts, that we can that we can do what we need to do in spite of them. It doesn't mean they have to be gone. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey, 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 here we are, another episode for you. I hope you are having as much of a good time and enjoying these episodes as truly I am creating them. So today's episode, I've known and have been connected online with our guest. It's Bob Berg, my goodness. I've I've known him online for a handful of years now, and... Anyone who follows him or personally knows him, you you quickly feel a sense of connection. And what's most impressive about Bob is, is not his list of extraordinary accomplishments that includes over three quarters of a million copies sold of his classic and iconic book, The Go-Giver, but rather it's how down-to-earth and simply relatable he is. His teachings and methods for living a wildly successful life through a business you adore are shockingly simple. For example, the Go-Giver book is broken down into the five laws of stratospheric success. And the first law, the law of value, simply says... Your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, as you'll hear through our dialogue, you immediately feel a sense of warmth and a genuine desire to be present and helpful with whoever is in his presence. Amazingly, Bob was recently inducted into the National Speaker Association Hall of Fame after 30 years as a professional speaker and still going strong, and I'm honored, truly, to welcome him to our show. I know you'll enjoy every minute with Bob Berg. Here we go. 
Well, look at that. The on-air button is blinking bright. You know what that means. It's truly my favorite time of the week. And I am so thankful to be sitting down truly with one of my favorite people in the world. I mean, really, how can he not be? And if he is not currently one of your favorite people, I am convinced that after this episode, he most certainly will be. Look at that. It is the legendary, it's Bob Berg. How are you, Bob? Hey, I'm doing great, Josh. Great to be with you. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Longtime fan, uh, devoured so much of your work. I continue to learn from you. So where in the world do we begin? Certainly we'll begin with the go-giver and we'll inch our way back. So the the go-giver, as many might know, and certainly I'm sure you know, three quarters of a million copies sold, translated into 21 languages. I know it recently hit its 10-year anniversary, still going strong. It was rated number 10 on Inc. Magazine's list of the most motivational books ever written, my goodness, and was on HubSpot's 20 most highly rated sales books of all time. And to make matters even better, Bob, you are one of the top 30 leaders in business and was named one of the top 200 most influential authors in the world. Okay. So those kinds of credits, those, that kind of resume, how much of that was or could have been planned versus, oh my goodness, look what's happening. <laughs> well, thank you for those uh, very, very kind words. As far as the, the book and the accolade for, accolades for the books, uh, a big reason for that is John David Mann, my great friend and co-author, who you know. And uh, John is a great writer. He's a storyteller. I mean, I'm, I'm much more of a how-to, you know, step one, step, not that John isn't too. He, he's fantastic with that. But, you know, my thing is my books before The Go-Giver were all how-to books. Um, teaming up with John was, was the magic because this guy can take a, a sentence and turn a phrase and just make it sing. So it was a matter of getting out a message that we thought would have an audience and we thought would hit uh, in the magic of John's uh, pen or keyboard. And, uh, you know, fortunately, it, 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 you know, touched some hearts and, and helped some um, people kind of, I think it helped a lot of people clarify what they were already doing right. I mean, there's really nothing new in that story as far as the principles go. These are universal laws that have been around forever and have been used, whether intuitively or, or were learned by people who've been successful. So there was nothing new about them. We just kind of put them into words, I think, that, that, um, uh, maybe clarify more than anything else. And then those people who were mentoring others or had people in their organizations, they were passing the book along or buying it for that, you know, and so forth. And, and so I think that's kind of how that happened. Uh, so I don't think there was any magic to it in terms of that I did anything special or that we did. It just, you know, we had a plan as far as how we were going to put out the best possible book we could and then did the marketing for it. Did, I, hey, I've been doing podcasts for 10 years since this book's been out. I've never stopped promoting it. So I think if we do the simple things and we do them consistently, and then if you have a product that finds a marketplace, it's gonna happen. Incredible. How do you personally define success? 
Well, I think success itself can be defined many different ways. I think success is contextual in nature. It depends on, on what we're really talking about. For example, on a very, very basic level, success can simply be a, a victory, team or personal. Uh, for example, uh, you know, two teams play, one wins 5-3. The team that, that won, that would hit, hit, scored five runs, was successful. The team that scored three was not in terms of the victory, but maybe they were successful in terms of playing above their potential or improving since they'd been, right? Mm -hmm. So, or maybe you want to lose, uh, I don't know, 20 pounds in six months, and you lose 20 pounds in six months, you were successful. Now, if you lost uh, 19 pounds or 18 pounds, you were 90% successful. So you can look at it as a, a victory or you can look at it however you, you want. Uh, that's one form. That's a, 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 a certain level of success. But there are many other definitions that I think complement that. Uh, one of my favorites was Earl Nightingale. And you may be too young to remember or really listen, have listened to Earl. Uh, but he was back in the day, he was the, really the forerunner of the audio programs that, that came out. He had Lead the Field and The Strangest Secret. And his definition of success was the, um, the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Now you think about what that's really saying. The progressive realization. He's not saying that you've hit it. He's not saying that you, you, you did the thing, that, that you finished it yet. He's just saying the progressive realization, you're getting closer of a worthy ideal. So in other words, being the top producing drug dealer on your corner, that would not be success because that's not progressive realization toward a worthy ideal, okay? So, you know, um, uh, legendary UCLA basketball coach John Wooden never talked about victories. He talked about improvement and living up to your potential as, as being successful. I guess my definition of success on a general view, a generic, maybe a 30,000-foot view, if you want to say it that way, is success would be uh, an ongoing feeling of, of peace of mind uh, based on having done one's best in living up to their potential. So in other words, to the degree, wh whatever area in which you want to be successful, whether it's financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational, what have you, to the degree that you have done your best in living up to your potential, that's the degree that you are successful. You know what I love about all that is there's so much to really sink your teeth into because personally, I spent so many years judging my own success, get this, based on what other people were saying or thinking. Right now, tell me, why is that natural? I've learned that, my goodness, that's reversed you know, it should come from within, not the external validation. But you just said, it's not, why do we make that our natural? Well, we're human beings. We're very emotionally driven, okay? And just, you know, by our nature, we are. We have an ego that pretty much drives us. And then, you know, the ego itself, there's nothing good or bad about it. When you hear ego talked about, it's always talked about in a, a negative, but it's not negative. It's, it's like gravity. It's, it just is. You know, gravity is good when it keeps us from, you know, floating aimlessly up into space. Gravity is bad when we fall off a seven-story building. Okay, it's the same with ego. Ego is simply the I. It's that part of us that knows, that recognizes that we are a unique 
individual, separate from all other things and or people. Now, that can be politically incorrect to say in our collectivist world. What? We're individual, we're separate from other people. What about the universal consciousness? Well, first of all, I believe in that. I think on a cosmic level, I think there is a universal consciousness. We've, we've evolved, you know, we've, uh, uh, Napoleon Hill's the mastermind, right? And, and universal theory and so Absolutely, I, I agree with that. But none of that contradicts the fact that in our earthly existence, we also operate as individuals. We have our own personal needs, our own personal goals, our individual ways of understanding happiness and seeking that happiness. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, when we gear, when we direct our egos appropriately and productively, we're able to accomplish great things, both for ourselves and as a result for society as a whole. It's when we're not in control of our ego, just like when we're not in control of our emotions. When our ego is running us, okay, when our emotions are running us, now the opportunity uh, negatively comes up to, to do some things that are very counterproductive and harmful and hurtful to ourselves and to to others. But the ego is a driver. And, uh, you know, it all goes back to the uh, cave person days when everything was survival and you, you had to, uh, you were dependent upon what those in your 150 person tribe of people thought of you and how they, and I guess that probably soaked into our DNA and what have you. Whatever the reason is, it, it still oper we still as human beings operate that way today. We're very concerned. We measure our own success. Uh, you know, that's where you get the keeping up with the Joneses, right? They have a big house. You got to get a big house. This person has this car. You've got to get why makes no logical sense. It's emotional. It's, 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 but as long as we understand that, then we have the opportunity to kind of get our thoughts around it and then check our premises and start asking ourselves the questions, why is it important that so-and-so thinks this about me, right? I mean, you know, is there a reason? Is there something that, and then we can act accordingly if, if it's something that we wanna do. I love that you brought in the two E words, ego and emotions, and uh, referencing that we're all emotional beings. One at a time, I, I love the topic of ego because I am currently uh, on the very tail end of reading. Do you know the book, A New Earth? by Eckhart Tolle. I read it years ago, a wonderful book. Yeah, it's uh, literally mind-opening, mind-blowing. It's all about the ego, and mm -hmm. I've never really understood, but now I understood uh, the power of its pros, its cons, and keeping it in yeah. check when you really need to. Um, and by the way, just yeah, as a thought, another great book, and I, I don't really like the title so much, but the book is absolutely wonderful. It's Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Uh, and again, I, the, the title I don't like because ego isn't necessarily always the enemy when it's direct, but in this case, his story is about when it was. Mm, I will. Yeah. The lessons were just magnificent. Noted. Wonderful. And now going back to, um, the point of that, we are all emotional beings. I know that one of your thoughts is talking about how we all have a default emotional setting, you know, right helping us control emotions, right? Tell me what that means about our default emotional setting. Sure, well, just like with a computer, okay? When you, you there's a default setting maybe on the, um, on the email system that it always, when you open up for a new email, it goes to 10 point Helvetica, okay? And it's gonna continue to do that every single time. We know that, that's the default setting. 
But if you go in and you consciously adjust it for 12 point Ariel or, you know, whatever you do or new times, new Roman or whatever you want to do. And you reset the computer so that it comes up that way. Well, now you've, you've reset that default setting to something you would rather have as opposed to something that was already set for you. So let's, so we all have our default settings to what I call pressure situations. So when something happens, uh, how do you, and, and something happens that would put you somehow on the spot or could be dangerous or could be unprofitable or could be make something make you unhappy or what, what have you. How do you default? What's your natural default setting? Do you default in defensiveness? Do you default to an anger? Do you felt toward a feeling of hopelessness? Do you default toward being standoffish? Do you default toward coming on strong, even though you don't really feel it? Do you, what's your, do you default to calmness? and serenity, which of course is where we really you know, want to, that we want that to be the default. Now there are times to act other ways, there are times to be other ways, there's times to be angry when it's appropriate and when you're in control of that as opposed to it controlling you. There are times to be sad, there are times to be, right, but, but we want our default setting to be on calm and serene. And when that's the case, that really is what it means is we're in control of our emotions. How do we do that? If that's well, what we want, how do we do that? Well, we retrain our brains is, is what we do. And so let's take an example. Let's say that you know your default is toward, uh, let's say it's toward uh, becoming upset in some way, okay? When, when something happens, somebody tells you that they uh, can't get a, a, a job done or they don't understand what you're teaching them or just, but, but this happens constantly, okay? And remember, it's, it's a 10 point Helvetica. It happens all the time, right? Uh, you probably did not set this. It somehow got set in your consciousness. And so this is just how it is. So what we want to do is realize that, that because it's been this way, that without a change, it will continue to be this way. So, so let's first imagine this situation taking place where someone says or does things, something that typically causes us to, or doesn't cause us, we cause ourselves to, but they push a button by what they say or do. And we cause ourselves to become angry or upset or whatever the default is. Okay. So picture how that makes you picture the situation and how it makes you feel when it does happen. It's probably kind of a lousy feeling. Okay. And that's just for reference. Now, what I want you to do is to imagine a situation where someone says or does the same thing they usually do. It could be someone else, but a similar situation, but we know what it is. And I want you to picture when this happens, that rather than you're defaulting into anger or upset or whatever, I want you to see yourself just defaulting into calmness, being totally in control of yourself, control of the situation. You have a feeling of relaxation. You're not upset by it. You, you, you listen to the person without interrupting. And so they, you transfer your calmness onto them. And then you say the perfect thing. Don't, you know, don't worry about what that is right now. That can be learned. Uh, but, but that right now, I just want you to have the feeling of that happening. And I want you, and it may be, you know the words to say or that you know how to, to handle. And I want you to see yourself doing that and then get the feeling after the feeling of what that would feel like. Okay. Now, the next step is to rehearse this. 
rehearse this again and again and again and again. Just like an astronaut before they go up into space on a mission, he or she will run through hundreds and hundreds of simulations, right? Because by the time they get up into space, if God forbid something happens, they already know it. They've been there. They've done that. They've done hundreds and hundreds of simulations, so they know exactly what to do. Now, someone might say, well, but it's not the exact same, a simulation to an astronaut or being there and picturing in your mind how you're going to respond as opposed to, it's not the exact same, but it's close enough. We know that the, 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 the unconscious, the subconscious cannot distinguish between what has actually happened and what has been suggested to it again and again. So, uh, so run through, you don't have to do it hundreds and hundreds of times, run through it enough that you, it starts to become part of you. And then the next time it happens, go into the new set, the default setting that you've set for yourself as opposed to life having set it for you. And then when you handle it right, Feel wonderful about it. Take great enjoyment, pleasure, not pride, but pleasure in the fact that you did that. And know two things. One is if you can do it right that one time, you actually have the ability to do it right every time. But the second thing is to remember is you probably won't do it right every time because you're a human being and we all mess up from time to time, but we'll have chances to get it. But I will say this, that as you start to retrain your brain this way, it will take you virtually no time at all to start making such a significant, significant change that not only do you recognize it, not only do you feel better about yourself, you have more confidence, but you become better liked by people, you become more trusted, highly respected, and it just makes your life a lot um, less stressful and a lot more profitable and a lot more fun. So much genius in that. And I can't imagine one person who cannot relate. Personally, I've been through that where I just found myself with a pit in my stomach and anger, frustration, overwhelm, just overcome with negative crap. And I am, I am continuing today to work myself out of that. And I really feel, in, in, yeah, it really is. And today, even just a few months and certainly a few years, um, well, I've been a few months. I've only been, I started recently meditating which has been an absolute game changer for me. I used to roll my eyes when I heard about it because I guess I wasn't ready to understand it or appreciate it or accept it. But something clicked just 60 days ago and I said, I gotta, I'm, I'm ready to experience this, this, this meditation. And really, you know, I've heard and it's true, there's no really wrong way to do it. Do, you know, find a system and a path that works for you. I do it once a night, a little bit before bed, and it just clears everything out. It helps me get into that default, calm state. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I want to go back some years uh, because I know you um, writing is now a big part of your life, but I'm guessing it wasn't always. So uh, in this new millennium, you've, you have um, certainly many, many books. First of all, going back to the uh, original Go-Giver, because there's a handful of, uh, of um, subsequent Go-Giver books. The original Go-Giver, I just went back and looked, 4.8 stars out of five on Amazon with over 1,400 reviews. That's got to feel incredible. 
It does. It feels great. We, we love that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can imagine. So uh, the what, take me back, if you will, to the Bob Berg um, before the millennium. What were you doing? Who were you? Well, I began as a uh, broadcaster, first in, in radio and then television. I was the uh, late night news guy for a very, very small ABC affiliate in uh, the Midwest, United States. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't particularly good at it, and it wasn't long before I was out of that. And, and so, I so I graduated into sales. And um, I floundered for the first few months because I knew nothing about sales and the uh, the company where I was, where I started, well, let's just say their training was negligible at best. And so for a while, I, I kind of, you know, thought, you know, this could be good, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and I realized that wasn't going to work. And I went into a, a bookstore one day just to see if I could find something. And this is almost 40 years ago uh, when they actually had a lot of bookstores, and, right? And, and um, I, I remember I saw a sales section, which surprised me. I had no idea there was even such a thing. Books on selling? I, I don't understand. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And I, I picked up a couple of books. One was by Zig Ziglar. One was by Tom Hopkins. And I, I took the books home and I began studying them and just did what they said. And I, and I mean, I just, I was some hours and hours and per night I was investing in studying in these and highlighting and underlining and practicing and doing the whole thing. Really within a few weeks, my sales began to really improve. And what that taught me was that you can pretty much accomplish most things if you have a system for doing so. And that's what they were showing me. To this day, I, I personally, I define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. In other words, if it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know that all you need to do is A and continue to do A, and you'll eventually get the desired results of B. So that was a big thing for me to learn, that I didn't have to reinvent the wheel, or that I didn't have to invent the wheel, because I'm, I'm one of these people, I'm not smart enough to invent a wheel, okay? I'm smart enough to, to learn from the person who has, but I'm not the one who's going to invent the wheel. It just, it's not, my, my brain doesn't work like that. So... Um, from there, I began to really study not only sales, but personal development. And I really just started reading everything I could. That's really when I became a student because I was a horrible student in school. So it was really when I, once I got into sales and I started to really immerse myself in learning and education, that's really when all that. So then um, I eventually worked my way up to sales manager of another company and was then teaching others how to do what I was doing. And eventually I kind of found out you could make a living doing that, right? And I thought, oh, speaking sounds really cool and teaching others. And I always love talking about sales and about, you know, communication and different things. So I joined, uh, I remember I joined National Speakers Association and learned the business of speaking. And uh, fortunately, and this was in the, lit, I guess, really late 80s, really early 90s, I guess. I'm not sure. But, um, and, you know, fortunately, it's been a good run. What was the Bob Berg like in the 90s? Take us through that decade. Well, as I was getting started, I was really doing anything I needed to do to, to succeed. Um, I learned how to 
work niche markets in terms of selling my speaking services. So I was on the phone all day, you know, back then it was make call after call after call after call after call and you make a connection, you qualify, you send, you position yourself through writing articles in different magazines, you know, in the trade professional association magazines, and you just kept on going until you started to, to, um, you know, get a few hits and, uh, get a couple of engagements. And then you, you know, once you did that, you worked a, a, a horizontal market in terms of referrals and, built up that way. And, uh, but it wasn't without its stress because I still, you know, it's not like I was making enough money to be able to hire a support team. So I was doing the selling and the marketing and the speaking, and then you're out speaking and you're not doing the selling and the marketing. There's endless loop of never really having enough money and, uh, and so forth. And, um, I remember there was one time, this is, I was probably two or three years into the business. Uh, and I was really struggling um, and, and couldn't afford to, to hire someone to support and everything. So, and I, but I really couldn't afford not to, and I was kind of that in between, but it was getting to the point where I remember about six months earlier at a National Speakers Association convention, one of the speakers who was now a very successful speaker, she was talking about at one point in her career early on that she started to look at the, uh, the want ads in the newspaper at night because she didn't know if she could actually make her speaking career work. And I was doing the same thing. I was looking at the thinking, okay, I, I may have to get a job in sales and then try to rebuild the speaking business somehow, you know, part-time. And I just didn't want to do that because I loved what I was doing. And I remember it got to the point where it was a Friday afternoon. And I said, you know, if I don't, if I don't um, come up with a winner, if I don't book something uh, now, I'm going to have to, you know, go through this, this weekend, go through the want ads and I'm going to have to interview for a sales job and try to get myself back. Um, uh, and I remembered a, and it was the end of the day and still nothing. And I remembered something I used to do when I was in, when I was, when I was first in sales and I used to have this thing, a game I played with myself called one more call. <laughs> and that is, and I'd be, you know, driving around, I was knocking on doors, it was business to business. And and I would, at the end of the day, when it was time to end, when I knew businesses were closing up, when I was going, I, I thought one more call. I'll just make one more call. It wasn't one more sale. It was just one more call. But it was amazing how often that one more call led to a sale, either then or, or in the future. But it was powerful. So it was the end of the day and I'm getting ready to go. The day was over and I said, you know what? I'm just going to make one more call. I mean, I was so disgusted. I felt just horrible. I was going to have to get a job and the whole thing. I said, I'm just going to make one more call. And I literally went to the uh, the state or the National Trade Professional Association directory that I was working out, out of at the time. And I saw an association there that I didn't think there was any reason why they would want to uh, have me speak. But that wasn't the point. It was just one more call. And I called them. And it turned out that they had an ongoing education thing for their, they had what they called sections, 42 sections, which were like states, but they called them sections. And they had continuing education. And she said to me, you know, we've never had something like what you teach. Would you be interested in doing that? And I'm thinking, yes. But uh, uh, that ended up for the next, over the next three years, I think I worked something like 32 out of their 42. And, you know, back then I wasn't, making the kind of bread per, you know, per gig, but that was okay. It was enough to keep me afloat so I could hire someone part-time at first to support and I could, you know, and that's what kept me in the business. 
during those early years. It was that one more call. What I love about that is the little part where you mentioned that, you know, you, you told yourself one more call and you found what seemed like a, um, a call that could have been blown off. You could have justified, nah, they're not, they don't need me. There's no, nothing really here, but you put that aside. So even then, and I'd like your take on it. How important is our mindset today? I think our mindset is very important today. I, I suspect our mindset has always been important. And that's probably something that, you know, people who were successful knew. And if, if you look through history, there's always, and, and by the way, having a mindset of confidence doesn't mean we don't have fears and that we don't have doubts. We're human beings. Of course we do. It's that we also have a confidence inside to know that we can work past those fears and doubts, that we can that we can do what we need to do in spite of them. It doesn't mean they have to be gone. Um, it's also having uh, a confidence to know that we can only control our activity, okay? We can't control what other people do. A, a great mentor of mine, Bill Gove, used to say, you're responsible to people, not for people. In other words, you're responsible to them to give them the opportunity to do business with you. He was a great salesperson in his day. You're responsible to people to give them the opportunity to do business with you. You're responsible to them to be prepared, to know what you're talking about, to know their needs, to discover their needs, their wants, their desires. You're responsible to them, but you're not responsible for their decisions. Ultimately, we're not responsible for anyone else's decisions. That doesn't, again, that's not an excuse. That doesn't give us an excuse to not do what we're supposed to do. It just means that we can, we can always take that extra step or make that call or knock on that door figuratively or literally or whatever, knowing that as long as we do the best we can do, that's our responsibility. What were you telling me about that little chunk of time in the late 90s when technology and the internet started coming into play with your business. How did that go about? Well, I've never really enjoyed technology. I, I, and I use it all the time now, right? And so, and, you know, people assume I'm really good with it. I'm really not. But we'll go back a couple decades to the, I guess, late mid to late 90s. And I had built up a successful speaking business at the time. And this is now when it, things began to shift. And both the companies and other marketers were now really getting into technology, really getting into this internet thing and all this, you know, and I didn't want to. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's funny because in the, uh, in the field of personal development, if you will, I, I, I often say that there is a political correctness there that I've, I've never enjoyed. And, and that is when people say things like, oh, everything's great, you know, or, you know, you're never supposed to admit that there's something, that there's a flaw or, right, or, you know, when people say change is great, just embrace it. And so that, well, here's the thing, okay? I hate change. I do. I hate change. I like things as they are. Okay. I like to get something going and then keep it there. <laughs> okay. That's just me. Okay. And so, and so I thought to myself, you know what, I've built up enough of a, you know, a, a client base, enough of a business that's got it. I don't have to do this. It, I was wrong. 
And my business just boom, 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 boom. And I actually had to go back to the drawing board. And what it, what it said to me is, you know, Berg, you don't have to like change. That's not the issue. Okay. You don't have to like it. You just have to do it. You have to go with it. I mean, if, if, if the world's changing around you and you don't change, you're going to be left behind. So that was a lesson for me. Now, I'm still not great with technology in itself, but I surround myself with people who are. And uh, my business partner, Kathy Tejanel, happens to be a genius with technology. So she makes it very easy for me. She's the reason I'm able to go on to the internet and to, to uh, you know, be on social media and do these things and be confident. She free, her knowledge and wisdom frees me up to do those few things I do well. So I don't have to worry about the other, but you know, so, so again, it's not a matter of, you don't have to like change. You know, that's that, again, that, that political correctness, you don't have to like anything. You just have to do the things you need to do uh, if you want the, the correct results. And isn't that the win for all of us and a lesson, if not a big lesson, surround yourself, as you said, with the people who are good at what you need done that perhaps you're not done. Because I know so many of us think that we are one person shows and we have to do it all. And that's a recipe for not much success or a difficult road. Oh, I, I agree. It's, it's very difficult to sustain your success that way. If you really don't, if you're doing things that you don't enjoy doing that you could farm out or, you know, what have you, uh, another mentor of mine said, he said, delegate, don't abdicate, but delegate, you know, you want people doing those things that are not your strengths or the things you like to do so that you can focus on those few things that are in your wheelhouse. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I do. I do, ultimately. It doesn't mean I always understand what it is, okay? And it doesn't mean that, that things aren't unfair, okay? And that lousy things and yucky things do happen. I believe, ultimately, everything does happen for a reason. And I think a lot of things, as you, as you go later in your life, you can look back at them, and you really can see where this happened, you know, and... But again, I, I always want to stay away from that political correctness of the personal development. Oh, this horrendously horrible thing happened. Oh, but, you know, it's a good thing. Uh, it probably is on a cosmic level. And, you know, God knows why, literally. But that doesn't mean we do. And so, you know, when, when someone comes to me and they talk about a tragedy, I, I tend to not say, oh, it's okay, it happened for a reason. No, let's look at what the challenge is and, and let's acknowledge your feelings about it and then what you can do in order to, to take the next step that you need to take. But I'm not gonna tell someone who had something horrible happen that, you know, it's okay, there's a reason for it. Um, that, but do I think there is? Yeah, I, I think there probably is. With everything you've achieved to date, what one mantra do you live by today? Oh, I think that I think it would be to do my best to help other people feel genuinely good about themselves. You know, that's, that's something that I witnessed my dad always doing when he talked with people. I great parents. I still have. And, um, but dad and I were both the type that are more out in the, the limelight, you know, they both had, uh, um, uh, followings of sort, not follow, that's a lousy word, but a, a lot of people who knew about our work. And, um, 
And uh, I always noticed that with him, that he always just took interest in people. He always cared about people and, and he always looked to make people feel genuinely good about themselves. So in a sense to me, I'm carrying on my dad's legacy. Hmm. Are you spiritual or religious in any way today? Uh, I'm more spiritual in, 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 than religious in terms of a lot of times religion is more about following a certain doctrine, if you will. Uh, I'm Jewish and, I'm, and I identify with my Jewishness. Uh, and to me, I connect with God through my Judaism, but I'm not Orthodox. You know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, following all the, the you know, the, the dictates and so forth. So I'd say more spiritual than religious while still, you know, identifying religiously. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time on this earth has come to an end? I would like to believe, and I do believe, that our soul goes with God, but I don't necessarily know what that means. I don't believe I have the answer to it. You know, I think our, our job is to do the best we can while we're here to be a good person and to, you know, serve the world around us and to, to you know, again, do our best. And, you know, then the rest is, is in God's hands. Amazing. Looking at, again, your resume, your credentials, your achievements, if at birth somebody handed that to me and said, here you go, this is going to be your life, I obviously would have signed on the dotted line, but here you are, I'm still, I, I'm, I'm sure, still a ton left in you. Where do you go from here? Well, I don't believe that I've accomplished anywhere near what I should have. Um, you know what I'm saying? So I, it's not like I ever have some sense of self-satisfaction. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm happy. I'm joyous in my life. I've, you know, hopefully created that the best I could. But, um, no, I feel there's a lot more to do. And so I, you know, um, I was very fortunate to have, you know, again, the parents I have and the family I had and, and so forth. I also had um, uh, and grew up with and have always suffered from OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And uh, I don't bring that up off unless I'm asked. And even though I wasn't asked because we kind of painted, you know, the life of, you know, just this great, unbelievable, hey, I've been very fortunate, but OCD and not the type of OCD where people say, oh, I'm so OCD about this. That's not OCD. Okay, OCD is a is a chemical uh, mess up in the brain, basically, and it's it's debilitating. But uh, but and I've always had to live with that, and that's been a tough thing to live with. Uh, and that's when you know, and, and when you asked before, does everything happen for a reason? And I can't imagine why I would have had that. Um, but it probably on some level has made me much more empathetic to other people's feelings and has probably helped me to help people in ways that I may not even have known. And so if that's the reason I was supposed to have it, then I have it. Had I, but if, you, if at birth, going back to your, your question at birth, uh, if I was given a choice, uh, would you rather have the debilitating OCD to struggle through all your life but be very empathetic and be able to help a lot of people with it? Or would you rather be a little bit less deep and not have OCD? No, I'd say I'd rather not have OCD. You know? Mm, 
And also, I know I have not, it, to, to whatever degree I've succeeded, it has not been because of OCD. You don't succeed because of OCD. You succeed despite OCD. And so, you know, that's been a, a tough road to hoe. But again, it's part of me. And for whatever reason that, you know, God chose me to have that, that, that is what it is. And I don't try to, to um, I don't try to say, oh, why me? It just is what it is. And, it, you know, if I'm ever supposed to find out why that was afterwards, I will. And if not, I won't. But I accept that. Mm. I literally got the chills listening to that recount. Amazing. Extraordinary. I will leave you, Bob Berg, with this one final question. How, sir, would you like to be remembered? Oh, it, it goes back to I'd like to be remembered as the guy who made other people feel genuinely good about themselves. That would be it. Easy, period. We will punctuate it with that and continue on our collective journeys. Like I said, truly still one of my favorite people. And I mean that, Bob. Uh, it's just a pleasure to watch you. You say in the late 90s, you resisted technology. Even now, you're embracing it in your genuine way, which is evident and makes sense. And, you know, I, 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 I watch your different social accounts and I learn from you and I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate you greatly. Keep up the great work. I really appreciate that. Well, that does it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Go get them. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.